Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thanks be to God for his word, and may God bless the preaching of his word. J.I. Packer says that the book of Romans is the high peak of Scripture, and the chapter 8 is the high peak of Romans. And it's Pastor John Piper who calls this chapter the Great Eight, and he in fact gives a list of why Romans 8 is, in his opinion, and I think it's a good opinion, the greatest chapter in the Bible. Here are those five reasons. Let me share them with you. What makes Romans 8 so glorious. One, there is no other chapter that more deeply or fully deals with the brokenness of the physical universe and how it got that way and what will become of it. That's verses 18 through 25. Two, there is no chapter that expresses with more clarity or power the infallible and unbreakable linkages in our salvation from predestination to glorification, especially verses 29 and 30. Three, There is no other chapter that combines the intercession of the Holy Spirit in us with the intercession of the Son for us in the service of the never-failing love of God the Father over us. Four, there is no chapter that more explicitly and repeatedly juxtaposes the necessary horrors of our suffering with the utterly assured grandeur of our glory that moves with such force through suffering to a crescendo of unshakable hope in the love of God, verses 18 through 39. And five, there is no chapter with a more sustained litany of privileges, securities, and assurances to hold us firmly in the keeping love of God. You read Romans 8, and I encourage you to do that sometime over this next week, and you see all of the glorious truth that God speaks over us as his children throughout this chapter. There is now no condemnation for you because you are in Christ Jesus, verse 1. You have been set free from the curse and the power of sin, verse 2. God says, I have done what the law could not do when I sent my son to die the death you deserve, to pay the penalty you deserve for your many sins. Verse 3, he says, I've given you my spirit that you might know life and peace. Verse 6, he says, my child, one day my spirit will give life to your mortal body in the resurrection. Verse 11, I have done it all, says the Lord, and because I have done it all, the only debt you now have is to live by the power of the spirit I have given you. Verse 12, His power will help you kill sin, verse 13. His power will prove that you are indeed my sons, says your father, verse 14. The Spirit will witness with your spirit that you are indeed my beloved children, verse 16. And do you know what it means that you are the children of God? You are 
heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, with an inheritance of glory awaiting you in heaven, verse 17, the suffering and the groaning of this fallen world. Hear this. The suffering and groaning that we presently experience is not worth comparing to the glory that is to come. Verse 18. Yes, this world is not the way it's supposed to be. It is broken. It is groaning. But there is hope. One day the whole creation will be set free. Verse 21. One day your body will be redeemed. Verse 23. One day all things will be made new by my power, says the Lord. And in the meantime, as we set our hope on what is to come, as we anticipate that glorious great future, my spirit, says the Lord, is going to help you in your weakness, verse 26, and intercede for you, verse 27, and I am working all things for your good, verse 28. Before you were born, I set my love upon you and chose you and determined that you would be made like my son, verse 29. Therefore, your future glorification is certain and the plans of the Lord for you cannot fail, verse 30. I am for you, says the Lord, verse 31. I gave my son for you, verse 32. Christ Jesus died, rose, and reigns, and intercedes for you forever, verse 34. And therefore, and now we arrive at the text that we will consider today, the climax of the chapter in verses 35 through 39. Therefore, nothing in all the earth can ever separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. It is a staggering chapter, full of privileges, full of glory, full of assurances. Verses 31 through 39 have been called the Christian's triumph song. The Christian's triumph song. And the goal of this passage is to give us, as we look to the future, to give us an indestructible confidence that we will never be separated from the love of God. And that that confidence would remain in the midst of every sorrow, in the midst of whatever suffering God calls us to endure, and that that confidence would function for us today and every day of our lives. That it functioned for us just as it did for George Matheson. George Matheson was born in Glasgow, Scotland in 1842. And by the age of 18... He was totally blind. Uh, in spite of this disability, he went on to be an accomplished Bible scholar and teacher. He had been engaged to be married as a teenager, but when his fiancée discovered he was going to be blind, she left him. And he was devastated, understandably so. Matheson's sister cared for him in his blindness, but years later, she was engaged to be married. She had been his caretaker, and Matheson, as he processed that, was reminded of the heartbreak of the former relationship that he lost. And with his sister entering marriage, the wound was still fresh. Uh, years later, still grieved that his desire to be married had not been fulfilled. And yet he knew, as he processed those events, he knew that marriage does not complete or satisfy us most deeply. He knew that only the love of Christ can do that. And so the night before his sister's wedding, in the midst of sorrow and distress, he wrote one of the great hymns of the 19th century. George Matheson wrote this, O love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. 
And in the midst of his sorrow and his distress, he articulated this unshakable hope that he had in the love of God. Friends, what I want to ask you today is do you have that same confidence? A confidence that sustains you. A sure hope that the love of God will never fail. Has your weary soul found rest in knowing that there is a love that will never let you go? The incredible teaching of this passage is that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Paul puts it as a rhetorical question, just as he has throughout this entire section. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And he then presses further and lists categories and experiences that pose the greatest threat to our sense of security. What are the realities in our lives that we might consider as most likely to come between us and the love of Christ. Verse 35 gives seven possible candidates. Paul himself experienced these things and much more. Verse 35, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. Verse 36, as it is written, and then a quote from Psalm 44, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And so here we have a clear statement of the fact that we will face great pressures and great difficulties in life, both now and in the future. Who are the people of God? The people of God are those who are killed all the day long. The people of God are those who are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Consider these experiences that are listed there in verse 35. Tribulation, that covers trials of many kinds. The, the word means great trouble. And so we wonder, what if I face some hardship and I don't move toward God, but I, I grow bitter and reject him? Will tribulation, will some kind of great trial come my way and separate me from God's love? The next word, distress. A distress can be emotional, psychological, physical. It includes pain and loneliness and disappointments. The focus of distress is more an inward condition. Will distress that I experience in life separate me from God's love? Persecution is mistreatment by others for our allegiance to Christ. It refers to the pressures of a hostile world that are indeed sure to come. Listen, over the next 50 years, it is quite likely, we could say over the next 20 years or over the next 10 years, it is quite likely that we will observe an increase of persecution in the U.S. Well, what if culture continues to decline? And what if Christians are not only receiving ridicule, but also fines and lawsuits and lost jobs and arrest and imprisonment. Will I have the strength to stand for Christ? Will persecution separate me from God's love? Famine and nakedness have in view the whole question of provision. We may experience this with joblessness. Will I have food and clothing? Will I have enough money to take care of myself and my family? Will a lack of provision separate me from God's love? And then danger and sword are those things that can quite literally kill us. 
those things that threaten our safety. Death is the last great enemy which awaits us all, will danger, and death itself separate us from God's love. Outlining these experiences, these realities that Christians are not exempt from in this world. The Bible does not teach that if God loves you, life will be easy. Suffering is real and life is often painful and heartbreaking and fearful and challenging. And the point here is not just that we will suffer, but that these experiences may raise questions and fears in our minds regarding our security in the love of Christ. There is so much insecurity in the world today and it is because of all of these realities. Tribulation and distress and famine and nakedness. And who knows what hardships await us. It is part of the nature of future suffering that we don't know what it will entail. Who knows what trials will come? Who knows what persecution we will endure even as we look to 2022 and beyond? And if we experience all of these things, how can we know God loves us? How can we know he hasn't abandoned us? We are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Well, here, here is where we need to remember, in fact, it's here in the logic of the passage itself, who shall separate us from the love of Christ is not the first question Paul has asked in this section. And the truths behind the other questions reveal the nature of the love of God. The love of God means not only that he feels a certain way toward us, which is also gloriously true, but also that he has secured a certain future for you. Okay, the love of God is good news about a glorious future for you. So the love of God is not simply a reality in the present. He has loved us in such a way that it has secured something for us for the remainder of our lives and through all of eternity. Question one comes in verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? All of you experiencing opposition, Take heart in knowing that no opposition will ultimately succeed. No matter who is against you, the sovereign Lord of the universe is always for you. And then question two is in verse 32. He who did not spare his son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him, with Christ, graciously give us all things? Meaning, God has already given us his only son, which is the greatest gift imaginable because of the infinite love he has for his son. There is no greater gift. There is nothing more costly to God than to turn his anger upon the joy of heaven, to curse the blessed one, to cast the radiance of his glory into darkness. His own son... God has given us his own son. And therefore, if God did the greater thing in his love, he will certainly do lesser things in that same love. I love the way that J.I. Packer explains the phrase, he will give us all things. This is what Packer says. The meaning of he will give us all things can be put thus. One day we shall see that nothing, literally nothing, 
which could have increased our eternal happiness, has been denied us. And that nothing, literally nothing, that could have reduced that happiness has been left with us. (laughs) Incredible. One day we will see that literally nothing which could have increased our eternal happiness has been denied us. He will give us all things. And then question three is in verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. And then question four is in verse 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. The child who was born that we celebrate at Christmas, is the one who died for us, who rose from the dead, who reigns eternally to intercede for us. He is alive and reigning as King of kings and Lord of lords even today. He intercedes for us even now. Take this with you into 2022. This is the love of God for you. Trials, yes, are certain, but the love of Christ is even more certain. You can live today in the invincible confidence of knowing that God is for you. He did not spare his son, but gave him up to die the death that we deserve. Your penalty and mine has been paid in full. And not only did God graciously give his son, he will graciously give all things. No one can condemn you. Your sins have been forgiven. The Christ who died and was raised lives forever to intercede. And it's in light of all of these glorious truths, and I love this, Paul can consider every imaginable threat to our security. He doesn't pretend those realities don't exist. He faces them head on. He looks at them. Let's talk about tribulation. Let's talk about death. Let's talk about persecution. In every trial that can come our way, every distress that can come our way, consider every imaginable threat to our security in the love of God. Paul does that very thing and then says, no. No, verse 37, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors. That phrase, in all these things, means that we are now more than conquerors. It is not in spite of suffering and disappointment that we conquer. It is in and through suffering and disappointment that we are now more than conquerors. For I am sure that neither death nor life, and at this point the apostle is absolutely soaring, I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I love those opening words, I am sure. What is that? That's the statement of confidence. That's... I am convinced. I am absolutely certain. And that is a call to confidence for us today. There is not a doubt in my mind, Paul says, that God will keep me in his love. 
John Stott says, Our confidence is not in our love for God, which is frail, fickle, and faltering, but in his love for us, which is steadfast, faithful, and preserving. Our confidence is not our love for God. It's his steadfast, faithful, preserving love for us. And J.I. Packer says this, Your faith will not fail while God sustains it. You are not strong enough to fall away while God is resolved to hold you. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm moving toward a close and I want to apply that truth of God's unbreakable love to some of the categories that are given in verse 38. Let's consider three of these categories. First, what about death? You know what it is to fear death. Death is that evil imposter, the last enemy to be destroyed. In Christ, we know that death has lost its sting. In Philippians 1.21, Paul says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He loves life and ministry in this world, and yet he says, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. How can that possibly be? Well, it is because when we die in the Lord, we are with Christ. And that death cannot separate us from his love. Octavius Winslow explains when he writes this, he says, death received a death wound when Christ died. You face a conquered foe. He stands at your side, this is death, he stands at your side, a crownless king, and waving a broken scepter. Your death shall be another victory over the believer's last foe. Planting your foot of faith upon his prostrate neck, you shall spring into glory more than a conqueror through him that loved you. For the believer, it is not death to die. And at the moment of your death, you will enter into, immediately enter into a more glorious and joyful existence in which you will Know the love of God like never before. The pastor and evangelist D.L. Moody once quipped, someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Don't you believe a word of it. At that moment, I will be more alive than I am right now. He knew the truth. And in Hebrews 2, verses 13 and 14, it says that through death, Christ has destroyed the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and delivered all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. All of us together can say, I am sure that death cannot separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. What about earthly rulers? A second category given here. Rulers, as it's listed here, can include both spiritual powers and earthly powers. One of the most important things you need to know, believer, about National and world leaders is that they are unable to sever us from God's love. And this should go a really long ways in removing the sense of panic we too often bring to our cultural engagement. Christians do not have a joy that rises and falls based on whether a particular candidate wins an election or how a particular leader governs. Why? Because our hope is not in rulers. Our ability to honor Christ is never contingent upon our possession of political power. Our security is found elsewhere. It is found in the love of Christ. And so, let me put it like this. You must deliberately, Christian, 
Choose to think and talk more about the love of God than you do the problems of this world and the problems of our nation. What captivates us is not the difficulties and the dangers of a fallen world, but the security and the peace we have in the unbreakable love of Christ. I am sure that earthly rulers cannot separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And then the third category, this is glorious, uh, things to come. It's a, a rather massive category involving everything that comes your way every day for the rest of your life. Whatever changes come, whatever losses you experience, we are to view the days to come from the joyful vantage point of the unbreakable love of God. And I want to say this, as we anticipate entering into a new year and uncertainties abound, if you find yourself fearful of the future, I want you to do this with me for a moment here. Consider the long-term worst-case scenario of every trial and sorrow you can know. If greater sickness and pain is ahead, in a little while you will be perfectly healed. A new body will be yours in the resurrection, full of strength, full of glory. If you enter into days of loneliness, Soon we will be together in the great gathering of all God's people, reuniting with loved ones lost in Christ and enjoying fellowship with the Father forever. If loss is ahead, you will come to know an inheritance that far surpasses all that we have parted with in this life. If we know overwhelming sorrows, eternal gladness and ever-increasing joy comes with the bright tomorrow. If the love of others fails us and we are wronged by others, friends, we know a love that will never fail. If death itself comes sooner than we thought, we will be with Christ, which is far better. And on that day, we will understand more of the perfect ways of the Lord than we presently do. And we will understand more of how all things were working together for our good. And we will one day rise in victory over death, dwelling in a world in which death is no more. And the love of God will satisfy us fully. And so the people of God can say, I am sure that things to come, whatever it may be, things to come cannot separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Brothers and sisters, friends, are you presently, are you now, this is what God has for us, are you now living in the comfort, the security of knowing that the love of God for you is unbreakable and unending? Do you feel loved with the greatest love the world has ever known. This is God's desire for each one of us here today, that we as his beloved children would know his great love, would rest in his great love, and that we'd be able to say with hearts full of confidence, joining the Apostle Paul, I am sure, I am sure, verses 38 and 39, that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus 
our Lord. Thanks be to God for our glorious Savior. Amen. Jeremy, do you want me to pray? Or I forgot to ask you about that. Uh, no, we got Fantastic. Excellent. God bless you all. It's a joy to be with you.